0: Hello and welcome to FuturePod. I'm Peter Hayward. FuturePod gathers voices from the international field of futures and foresight. Through a series of interviews, the founders of the field and the emerging leaders share their stories, tools and experiences. Please visit futurepod.org for further information about this podcast series. Today, our guest is Tamas Gaspar. Tamas is Research Director at the Budapest Business School. Department of International Economics, where he teaches in the Strategic Foresight Program and also the PhD program. Interestingly, Tomás also trained as a primary school teacher over a decade after completing his PhD, and he currently works as a primary school teacher as well. His research interests include socioeconomic strategic foresight and the intergenerational aspects of strategic foresight. He currently leads a research project, Strategic Foresight and Childhood Development. Welcome to FuturePod, Tamas.
1: Thank you, Peter. It's very good to be with you and with all the other people who are listening to this interview and in discussion.
0: Thanks. First question, Tamas, is your story. So what is the Tamas Gaspar story? How did you become a member of the Futures and Foresight community?
1: Okay. Well, um look. Honestly speaking i have never been interested in futures <laughs> uh, <laughs> in terms of in terms of what will happen. I was not enchanted by science fiction or so in the beginning, but there were some uh, driving forces that created a kind of future orientation in me. Uh, one was of course the family because I was born in a family where almost everyone is a, is a pedagogue you know, back to back to several generations. Right. So talking of development, nurture, constraints, or how to help others step forward was an everyday topic at the dining table. Another factor was that uh, that the spirit of the place, you know, that Hungary, which is a small country, and it is located in Central Eastern Europe with a rocked history, uh, where uh, creative thinking has ever been a, a means of sustenance, uh, both in terms of adapting or to or shaping the the futures. Mm. So living here in Hungary is rather rather adventurous, but <laughs> it is very similar to any small countries in Central Europe. And if you look at the the films or the literature of Czechia, Poland, Hungary, Croatia, and things like that, well, it's wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, and uh, and of course the third factor is, is myself because I have always wanted to be a, a musician, basically a conductor. What I was interested in is not leading, you know, a, a band, but rather the atmosphere of the music and the structure of the music. So, how it is emerging, so what is coming and what you will hear, uh, how it is emerging. So this is how to how to conduct it. Let me say so. Yes. So I, I always loved learning, which means that I was interested in the inner logic of, of operation, you know, so to understand the, the whole or the big picture. Uh, all in all, so it was reading or rather the feeling the atmosphere of the future and not the future itself, yeah. you know, where all, all who is involved can feel well. So this is my future. Or this is my future orientation and how to help it. To emerge
0: if so if I kind of test what you're saying that I understand it is that it's it's really the process by which the future is brought into into being through the interaction of people and society that actually is your predominant interest
1: yes 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 that's it but I didn't realize that uh, at all you know I was I was graduated as a as an economist an international economist and uh, and I think this big picture first appeared in space. So I was very much in, interested in in world economics. So and to understand, I wanted always to understand uh, what's happening as a network uh, in the world. And this is why I was uh, specialized in uh, foreign economic strategy. And I wrote my PhD in integration theory, but from a strategic point of view, which was basically a kind of foresight point of view. So not strategic in its strict sense. And later on, I returned to the Corvinus University, where anyway, I graduated and I got to the Department of Future Studies, where I spent 10 years, which was a completely new area. So I did, I did not know anything about futures or future studies. But it was very nice to realize the, the whole, you know, the completeness now, not in space, but in time. So, realizing that the further you see in the future, the further you can see in the past as well. <laughs> so, and again, it was not, uh, not the future, I mean, what will happen, which uh, interests me, but, but how, how changes take place, basically. Yep. And the other thing is that, uh, again, realizing the whole or the completely seen occupation. So, meeting uh, other subjects or other people in other areas and understanding their logic was really wonderful. So working together with that architecture, a psychologist, a sociologist or an engineer, and to realize that their viewpoint or the, the way how their brain is 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 networked or wired is completely different than my one. And uh, and if we put all this together where well, something completely new is emerging. So this was wonderful. I, I loved it very, very much. So this was the time, you know, when... Uh, yeah when i was involved in the world future studies federation as well with basically with the support, with the support and the encouragement of of tony tony stevenson and and all the other old people uh, of the federation we were organizing the budapest futures courses from 1999 to 2005 biannually uh, which was a wonderful experience and at the same time a world conference in Budapest you may remember in 2005 in, in of the world future studies federation yes and i also got to the executive board of the federation and we organized another world conference in sweden Trollhattan. so it was it was a wonderful period this is how i i was involved you know in future studies but after that maybe you could say that i disappeared Party, so i i with, i was uh, withdrawing myself uh, on the one hand i went to paternity leave you know uh, for almost 2 years with uh, my smaller daughter and it was a wonderful experience again being together with uh, with a child who uh, you are completely responsible for and you are responsible to create a fruitful environment but you should let her uh, Developing her own future, if if I may say so. Yes, and uh, and you know, uh, even if I was very much involved in the in being together with with my first daughter Anna, uh, realizing that it's a completely different way of life and different way of thinking at the same time, and and it was a shock for me or a real surprise that that no matter how how close I am, being together with this situation is completely different. So I, I'm still sure that if uh, all all men in the world would have been forced to spend uh, half a year or one year at a paternity leave, the whole world would work would operate completely differently. Yes. So this was this was one experience, and the other one, what you mentioned, that uh, I returned to school again and became a primary school teacher. Well, it was more than a decade after my PhD. Well, we, what what I feel a step forward, anyway. So, well, if you want to learn more after a PhD, then be, let become or let's become a a primary school teacher, because here, you know, very close to to small children, it was it was really possible to to teach them a kind of literacy, and of course, including futures literacy. The kind of foresight thing, thinking and, of course, socializing, and it was the whole was parallel to the university education. So it was really, really wonderful that in the morning, you know, I was teaching the letter A or so, and in the afternoon, in the in a master's or a PhD course, let's say foreign economic strategy, and uh, and what was really a surprise that the, that these two are, were and are not uh, really far from each other. Right. It's completely possible to give the same ideas, the same education to small people than to university or PhD students. So you can teach completely the same thing also in terms of foresight of futures, of course, with different tools, with different methods at different level, but completely the same. And they understand everything. They can do everything. I mean, small children. And the third one was that uh, with a colleague of mine, who is dealing with also small children, we created a a, a program which we call uh, Singing and Drawing. Well, this is the translation. But basically, it's a kind of development program or an educational program. But we don't develop or educate, but we'd rather help them, you know. We open up the atmosphere in this program for small children, for a group of children, while we are singing, we drawing, we make physical education with singing and uh, and different types of uh, exercises at the same time, embedded in a fairy tale. And uh, this this is really wonderful, and we still still do that. And after that, yeah, I, I had to return. Unfortunately, completed to the university, to the Budapest Business School, though I still have classes with the primary school students. And uh, I teach uh, research methods to graduate students, uh, a kind of macroeconomic analysis, which is rather the inside part of the foresight. Yep. This is a master's program and strategic foresight for, for the PhD students. And I also have three students well, myself and I hope they will contribute much to the to the future's work. And we have, uh, well, just month ago, just a month ago, uh, we launched the the Future Value Chain Center of Excellence. This is the name of this research center, where basically global value chains are. Analyzed from different viewpoints, from micro and macro uh, viewpoints. But what I'm interested in is basically how how they are organized, how they are changing the network, you know, of this production or consumption network, and what future elements they have. So this is where we are at the moment with the, with the futures and with my story. Anyway,
0: so I'm interested when you said that. You can be teaching letter A to primary school students and then teaching research methods Mm-mm. to graduate students, but in many ways they are teaching or learning the same. Mm-mm. Do you want to explain what you mean by that?
1: The similarity between the, let's say, master's and primary school students is is, 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 is twofold. On the one hand, the students and the master or a PhD course still demand or need the the attention your attention yep. uh, like the primary school to uh, you know the students the, or the st- uh, children they are very grateful you know when you pay all your attention and your your real time <laughs> uh, to them and it's yeah and it's not common sense you know it's not it doesn't go without saying that uh, that really everyone is paying uh, his or her real attention to another person Of course, primary school students demand it very, very much, and uh, you are responsible for them uh, in many ways. So you really give your your attention to them. But this is the same with the master students and vice versa, which means that when, when, um, you know, when you teach, a foresight thinking or foresight itself. Let's say strategic foresight or the elements of it, uh, namely finding or a kind of horizon scanning or finding driving forces. What kind of uh, basic future you, you can you can see? What kind of alternatives you see? Uh, how you choose from these alternatives? What kind of vision you have? So all these elements. Are are relevant in terms of the small children, you know, because mm. they because they face the same problems uh, in their in their everyday life. Of course, not in terms of let's say sustainable future or uh, environmental protection or so, but in their very pure everyday life. And it's really wonderful to spend quite a lot of and if you have the opportunity to spend uh, a lot of time. Your every day, every morning, you know, in a week with these small children and step by step help them uh, realize, realize how how to think in terms of different options, how to understand the views uh, or the different views of, of other people uh, before, you know, just uh, shouting on him or her. Uh, So this is completely the same. And this was one reason, anyway, I returned to the primary school because I realized that, of course, the university teaching is really very nice and fascinating, but, you know, everyone is taking place basically for one semester or, let me say, maximum two semesters, basically. The students you are dealing with are always changing. And at the same time, uh, you know, in a primary school, you have the chance to, to spend all your time with this with the same uh, same group group of children for four years every morning mm. and step by step you can have a vision yeah what do you want to achieve and you have the possibility to monitor how they are doing what difference they have in skills in visions in attitudes in understanding in behavior and how to how to differentiate your own techniques you know and methods to help them emerge their own say futures or their own path of development and and it's really and it's really wonderful.
0: Thanks thanks Thomas. Second question the I encourage the guests to talk to the listeners about, a framework or an approach that is central to how they do their work. Mm. So what do you want to explain how you use to the listeners?
1: Well, from this experience, basically what I do is a foresight from a a nurture perspective, if I may say so which means uh, two different things, either in terms of foresight, so the strategic foresight in the university education, and the other thing is the primary school education. In terms of the university education, I basically use, use my book, because I wrote a book, well, almost 10 years ago, entitled Strategic Sapiens, if I may say, so Strategia Sapiens. So this is the man, this is the background of a man, who can think wider and further than usual. Mm -hmm. Anyway, this this strategy in this sense means basically foresight. I didn't know or I didn't realize at that time that basically it is foresight, but finally it turned out. And this is the experience of the previous 15 years as a summary. And the key elements of this, uh, let's say, methodology or tool, if I may say so, On the one hand, that what I use as a foresight model is very close to the integral futures model, Mm -hmm. uh, which was uh, not that popular at that time, 10 years ago or 15 years ago, but it's very similar to that one. The other thing is, or the other key element is that uh, rather than emphasizing the driving forces or the horizon scanning, Basically, I think I put the attention to the insight of, of the foresight activity, mainly that uh, the, uh, the real understanding that who, who I am. So, this is where the whole process is starting from, from an ontological point of view, if I may say so. And at the same time, realizing and making it conscious, making it conscious how I think. So, understanding my own thinking. And, uh, and at the same time, how, how the future I am thinking of is, is emerging in my head. So this is, I think, the, the key approach. And finally, uh, that the, the, the optional futures or the scenarios are linked very much to the acceptable futures and the achievable futures. So there's a kind of cost-benefit analysis at the same time. So this is the economist's point of view to shrink the cone of the, of the futures. Right. And, and I think the last key element may be understanding the vision itself as not a, a, a unique picture, but rather as a set of futures put next to each other. It's quite difficult to explain, but the, but the point is that, that the vision should be a multiply uh, pictures of the, of the future with very close links to each other in order to be able to shift because of the changing environment between them or among them. Yeah. It was very nice anyway, because the, you know, writing this book was a, on the one hand, was a challenge. By the end of the book, so when I, when I wrote it, I realized that my own understanding of foresight has changed a lot. So I, I was thinking a lot that whether to change the whole book. But finally, I left it at as it is, namely with with starting with a with one concept and finishing with a different concept, and in this case, the reader can see that the that the writer itself has a has a development yep. when, while while reading or while writing. Unfortunately, it is only in Hungarian.
0: You're saying that yeah, and the way you approached futures, and I agree, it is very much like what what I would say is Integral Futures, which Richard Slaughter was involved in teaching, Mm
1: -mm. and I was
0: involved in Richard's program. This notion that how a human develops their unique ontology, Mm -hmm. their unique sense of the world, and from their developed ontology, they then effectively create Mm
1: -hmm.
0: plausible possible futures, visions of possible futures, and they choose You must have a theory of how people develop their unique ontology.
1: Well, this is the other part, you know, the second part, uh, dealing with children. So this is why I think I I pay more and more attention to children and to their education. Because in this case, dealing with, so the methodology or the tools of uh, of futures practice is basically uh, opening up, you know, creating a, a very open environment. On the one hand, in order to, to achieve an environment where, where the children have no fear of the futures yep. because, because they have, because they do have. So as, an let's say, tools or elements, I think uh, it's very important not to have expectations to do the maximum or to give the possibility for the children to make mistakes and also, of course, to, to correct them. So the possibility to correct them. Or uh, very many times I explain or I'm telling stories of my own examples of failures yep. and restarts. And this is one thing, so no fear of the future. The other the other is, I think with this opening up is, is thinking in terms of varieties of solutions. As I mentioned, it's not doesn't go without saying. So but it's possible with the small children, even in, let's say, uh, teaching calculations. So, for example, 7 plus 5 is a very easy thing, you know, and there is a well a very strict way on the one hand of the result and on the way how to teach it. But it was wonderful to spend hours with the children while realizing that how their brains are wired and how they calculate this 7 plus 5 is completely different. When, when they explain to each other that, uh, let's say... Your solution, you know, finding first the 10, uh, so this is three, so, and I add plus two, so this is, this is my way of thinking. And the other says that, no, 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 it's much easier for me to, to realize the double of a, of a, of a, of a number. So five plus five is easy for me. Seven plus seven is easy for mm. me. So seven plus five is just two minus than seven plus seven. right? Or the third one mentions that I, I'm thinking, I, I see uh, in my vision dominoes with, with with dots on it. You know, so I see five plus two as seven and five plus nothing as five. And I if I put next to each other, I always see that the, that the two fives mean 10. So I have to see only what is up, you know, in my, with my eyes. And, and I saw that and I see that it's, you know, 12. So diff- completely different ways of thinking. And if you, if you let children use their own thinking or their own practice, for example, in terms of writing, the techniques of writing, they, they will find their, their own way to uh, do that. And the other thing is that you should be systemic with these kind of methods, which which means that you should use it in the everyday practice. On the one hand, because it comes from, it should come from the everyday practice of children. So I don't, uh, let's say, create, you know, in my mind, different examples, but we use the examples they live in their everyday uh, life. And the other thing is that it should be systemic because. Because we should practice it or do it until it becomes at the skill level or a a competence level. So I don't really believe in a a weekend trainings or things like that. Basically, I think these are the methods or the the tools. Yeah. If they are, uh, what I use with 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 children and students.
0: Can I ask? Just one thing that's always fascinated me developmentally with futures thinking is you talk about, and you're talking about primary school children and and their innate creativity and ability to see things in difference. Mm-hmm. But but as I have experienced that Thomas, there's also an age. It's a little bit probably after primary school. Mm-hmm where children start to almost socialize their imagination they almost start to wish to sh- to have common understandings rather than different understandings mm-hmm. so so there seems to be both as you describe it a period of time where children developmentally are happy to have unique yeah. ontologies and then i note that there appears to be another socialization process where children start to, I won't say they, well, I'll say that they actually are uncomfortable being very different and they want to be very similar. Is that, does that actually get borne out in your, in your observations?
1: Mm, Yeah, completely. And what is more, it is more that these small children don't simply want to let's say socialize their understanding. So to have a common understanding, which is, which is regularly, regularly the case. But on the one hand, it's possible to, to teach them. Uh, well, it's a kind of, let's say, communication program or socializing program in the everyday practice to realize what other people or other children have there in mind. Mm-hmm. Because, for example, if they have problems with each other, Nine from ten times, it turns out that it comes from a misunderstanding. Yes. So what what I see or what I think is completely different. What he or she has in his mind or her mind. So throughout the years, uh, it was completely possible both. I mean, sharing the differences and have a common understanding that okay, we have a we have different views or we have different solutions, but we can let's say. We can do one or we can have uh, a very similar uh, result from the different approaches. And they accept that. And what is more, even more, that the children don't simply want to socialize these visions, but they thrive on the teacher's vision Ah. very much. So, you know, the teacher is a god uh, for for them. I mean, in terms terms of, well, regarding that they completely uh, trust him or her. So everything with what the teacher tells is the truth. And with explaining my dilemmas, my failures, that, yeah, I do the same mistakes what they do. I've never been an, an, an excellent student in my life. With this one, it doesn't mean that they lose trust in me as a teacher, that they realize that, okay, I have a vision they trust it basically but we can discuss it we can criticize it we can give options to it and maybe it's it can be a mistake at the same time
0: <laughs> do you find when you go from primary school into the university that in some ways you have to encourage graduate students to to almost become as creative as they would have been as younger younger children
1: yes I think so. Yeah. In most cases, I think one reason is the, is the education system itself, because after the primary years, I think almost all forces, you make, uh, make the students just, just follow, you know, the, the curriculum or what the teacher says, because every, every, everything comes from the entrance exam towards the university, you know, and this this force appears in the secondary school and in the second uh, or in the upper part of the primary school so so by the years they get to the university many of them want to follow simply what you say and they expect you to to tell the truth again yes and it's a surprise for them when they have the possibility to cooperate with each other to to create their own visions or their own solutions of course this differs Country by country, region by region, all over the world. In some places, it has a much much better uh, environment and tradition. In some places, even less or even worse. I mean, than mm. than here in Central Europe. But uh, but on the other hand, uh, or oh, many of the students uh, uh, love realizing again that they have the possibility to think to create their own solutions and to share it with the others.
0: Hmm. That's good. That's good. Thanks, Thomas. Third question, the one where I'm interested talking to Thomas Gaspar, Hungarian human <laughs> um, about the emerging futures around you that you are paying careful attention to, either because you are excited by them or you are concerned by them. But of you know, of the things around you, what are you paying particular attention to and
1: why? Yes, okay. Maybe it's not a surprise that uh, basically what I pay attention to is the emerging generations. Yep. Well... There are many, I I think there are many, quite a lot of reasons for that. One is that there are a lot of uh, programs and uh, documents about, let's say, Vision 2050 and things like that, you know, from very different viewpoints. Also, I'm realizing throughout teaching that, okay, but these small children or the different students are the generation who will take most of the burden of this vision of this 2050, mm-hmm. you know. They will be the economic pop- economically active population by that time who should execute the, the vision what we have. And of course, the question comes that do they have to execute this vision, uh, the vision of now uh, or, or our vision? So another reason is that uh, it's a possibility to teach the future, I mean, uh, concentrating on the future's literacy, literacy and foresight skills. On the one hand, uh, so it's quite dialectic because on the one hand, we have to share the visions of, of the now because, you know, in the short run, it will be a path dependency for them to live in and then they should understand these visions of sustainability or any kind of visions for, let's say, 2050 and the other reason is for these uh, skills is that they should be able to be critical with these visions and at the same time they should be able to articulate their own visions uh, in in discourses for them so this is this is uh, another reason why emerging generation is in focus in my view and uh, and this is why i think the foresight itself or as visioning, uh, is an intergenerational process in my mind. You know, which means that uh, when we are talking about foresight, I think we should take into account how the the relationship or the discourse of the different generations uh, are taking place. I mean, now the teachers or fathers and the children and vice versa. Many years ago with José, you know, José Ramos, We we wrote a a paper in the Futures concerning the generations. And there we, let's say, identified uh, or tried to identify what generations mean and how they relate to each other in order to create, let's say, a vision or different types of visions. And another reason is when concentrating on the emerging generation as a future, because I think... uh, the, the children teach us at least as much or more than we teach to them. So they expect us and they teach us to be very clear and simple in articulating what we think. They teach us how to be honest and how to be uh, sober in mind and committed or devoted in heart. Because when you are with children, every day is, is a new day. Doesn't count at all if you have a PhD, if you are a doctor, if you have a an academic program, and even what happened yesterday, if, if it was a successful day or not. Every day is an is an exam, where, where you should let's say articulate who you are, what you think, and how you, you know, how you teach them. Every day yeah. is a is a new new exam. Well, the good news is that there is, all, there is always a chance to sit for a, another exam. Uh, <laughs> so this is what taking care of the future basically means for me.
0: Fourth question is the communication question. Uh, how do you explain to people what you do? Mm. If they don't necessarily understand what it is you do.
1: Okay. Well, regularly, um, I do not explain <laughs> what <laughs> I do. Uh, I just do. Uh, right. Basically, because I have very daunting experience, you know, in, in in explaining. And I think you and other people dealing or doing uh, the futures work have a very similar experience, you know. Other, uh, either there's a non-understanding or a misunderstanding of the whole issue. So so letting them realize their own experience or their own realization helps much, much. So it helps answering uh, the questions with, with what I do or what, I, what this future work uh, really is. On the other hand, in most of the cases, I'm talking of what I have, not what I do, but what I have done. So uh, about the results of the research work or of the teaching or the dilemmas of the research work or of the teaching, uh, it's, it is much more understandable for people. And maybe third, I basically, I'm talking of what uh, participants and students do and not what I do. <laughs> because in this case, you know, they can, that other people uh, can imagine it much easier than what it is all about when I explain the process itself. Itself, Or what the reaction of the participants or the students were, what dilemmas they were, what aha feeling they had, and so on. Again, creating the atmosphere, helping emerge the atmosphere is much easier for me. This is very similar to what I started to talk about in terms of the music, you know, yes. as a conductor. So helping emerge the atmosphere of the music and this is the same with the with with what i do also so we're at the last question is there a particular topic you want to talk to what came to my mind uh, can be basically the program which all these different threads are running towards namely this uh, singing and drawing because now we are just preparing for a for a program this week for for a group of children and it was very very nice anyway methodologically as well because i had nothing in mind you know how this program will look like i, I didn't want to develop this this program of singing and drawing it was really emerging and it's fascinating when you are one step behind something that is emerging in front of you and you have the chance to follow it, it's just wonderful. I don't know if you had this kind of experience anytime. When the vision is drawing you, you know, and it's creating itself and your task is to follow this vision uh, because uh, every possibility is just in front of you. So you should just do what you should do. <laughs> Uh, this is what happened with this singing and, and drawing. first, when our children were small, uh, it was wonderful to realize that you know drawing uh, you know, by a poem it's, it's very easy to follow the rhythm of the poem and the content of the of of a poem. Well I, re- I liked you know music that what, what if we singed? and it it turned out that it's much much easier. And later on, as these children were growing up and they, they went to nursery schools, these nursery schools invited us to to teach it or to follow it as well. And we realized that, OK, if we go there, then something else is needed. And uh, as we were teachers and as we are teachers, we, we followed that the regular developing uh, methods and tools can be adapted to to this one. So, and we put it into a fairy tale. So finally, a complete, let's say, 45 or 60 minutes program, you know, was emerging from that. And, and, it's, and, and it's still going on. For example, now this year, the last uh, autumn, when it was a COVID period, we helped this COVID period with going out to a park and uh, giving this program... You know, just for parents and students, uh, children who are in this park, uh, once uh, every week, and we created a new fairy tale with new programs, with new songs, and we put it on the on the Facebook also, so it was available for for all people. So there was one night, you know, when people from nine different countries from all over the world, even from Canada. We're following uh, the program and so on. But the background of the whole idea is is on the one hand that uh, students and children have, of course, problems, obstacles, they have blocks not to be able to be really active. And the aim of these programs is to make creative or to help children be creative, be independent in thinking and be active people in their further life. So this is why we are linking different developing activities at the same time. Another element of this program is that we we are singing and drawing from something something very completely different thing. For example from a from a fish a, a hedgehog is emerging or from a sleeping grandpa a flying bee is emerging or from a mushroom a ladybird is emerging. And with this one it, it it's a very very good way of teaching children that the future or the world is open to shape. So, mm. so, you know, if you start a mushroom, it's not necessarily a mushroom in the future, but it can be completely different. So it can change to, a, to another thing you want to shape it to. Uh, and also a very good tool to teach that, that complex systems of, have very simple rules and very simple building blocks like our drawing and our poems and the third element is the surprise itself, because the surprise, uh, an open surprise, you know, to, to something what is emerging, something what is changing, has a very, very high energy. It's a very high energy state. It's something like the researcher. So any researcher, anytime realized, you know, this, this kind of feeling in the heart. And at the same time, this program is, a, is an experimental pedagogy if I may say so, which means that, uh, that the future and the vision can be understood, or the understanding is vital only if you, if you live it through, if it's yep. either directly or indirectly. So this is why when we are creating a bear or a cat or a, a snow flower, uh, the only way to understand how they, how they operate, how they think that if we become a bear, a cat, a snow flower. And the last element is the emotional or the affective uh, relations. Because I think that in, all, in, in order to be able to create our futures, the first thing which is necessary is the safety or the feeling of safety around mm. us. Even if the, it is normal that, of course, the world is changing, that there is an uncertainty, but a kind of root of safety is very much necessary. You know, this is just the opposite of, of the action of action of fear or action by fear. Then mm-hmm. action by safety. If you if you feel safety by heart, this is the only way you can you can create real a real vision or a, yes. or a sober vision. This is why we we call it a program from from soul to soul. And this is the aim of the whole program to open up basically these children in order to be able. Uh, to create these futures, and you know, to be able to to learn the tools or the skills, what maybe they will use only in many many years from now. But if mm. it is there, somewhere there in their heart and in their mind, when the time comes, they will know how to use it, and that's for sure.
0: Lovely. That's a lovely. That's a lovely one to finish on, Tamás. Uh- <laughs> uh, thank you. On behalf of the FuturePod community, thank you, Tamas, for taking some time out to explain to us your fascinating journey from futures back to primary school and ultimately to create the next generation of futures thinkers. Thanks very much. This has been another production from FuturePod. FuturePod is a not-for-profit venture. We exist through the generosity of our supporters. If you would like to support FuturePod, go to the Patreon link on our website. Thank you for listening. Remember to follow us on Instagram and Facebook. This is Peter Hayward saying goodbye for now.